We are back, and you're listening to The Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. Thank you, Wilmer. There's a piece in Mint Press by Ahmed Abdul-Karim entitled, Balhaf, the oil port where UAE loots Yemen and imprisons and tortures Yemenis. The UAE has not only prevented Yemenis from exporting their own natural gas from Balhaf and forcefully laid off hundreds of employees, it has converted the sprawling industrial complex into a private military camp and secret prison. For insight into this, we turn to our next guest. He's the creator of the leftisdead.com, James Carey. As always, James, welcome back. Good to be back. So Ahmed Abdul Karim reports Al Shabwani, a resident of Atik City in Shabwa province, who requested that only his nickname be used, told Mint Press that he was detained for months and tortured in a secret prison inside Balhaf. Since 2016, when the UAE first entered Yemen's most productive oil and gas areas in Shabwa, Abu Dhabi has carved out Balhaf as its personal fiefdom and turned the former gas facility into a military camp and secret prison. Uh, your thoughts, James Carey, on uh, Ahmed Abdul Karim's reporting? Well, I, I think that, you know, it's more witness testimony to a crime that's sort of been occurring. I mean, these have been, the torture facilities of the GCC have kind of been a regular occurrence, although this is a more concrete one, but we've known of abuses by mercenaries and GCC, uh, you know, Saudi and UAE troops. And the UAE has long worked to sort of cement themselves in southern Yemen. Um, you know, they originally tried to back the separatist movement there, and they've kind of tried to make their own, as it says in the article, a fiefdom there. They've tried to manipulate governments to try and uh, build the government that they want down there, although that didn't really hold together. But the torture, as far as that goes, I mean, that's been a pretty regular tactic, and it's not surprising to see that the UAE, for all the influence they've exerted in southern Yemen, has really cemented this as just a policy there. You know, the other thing I find interesting, and that is, for all of the discussions we hear about these humanitarian wars, interventionist wars, blah, 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 it's always lies. Whether it's Hunter Biden getting paid in Ukraine, the U.S. stealing oil and wheat in, um, in Syria, there's always an element to this medieval plundering and pillaging in the spoils of war to this regime change stuff. Your thoughts, James? Yeah, obviously. And it seems that it's, you know, I don't even know that the UAE wants to manage the resources of Yemen all that much, but they're definitely content to control them and make sure nobody else can. Um, there's quite a bit of theft. And the fact is, you know, they're using an old French facility, which is odd because that doesn't seem like it would be approved for, you know, the international coalition that sort of backs this war silently. Um, so it seems that they've kind of got permission here to be doing this work on behalf of Western powers. It seems odd they'd be allowed to occupy a French facility with no trouble like this, um, regardless of who the money was going to back when it was operated by Yemenis. Uh, I don't see the UAE getting permission to do this. And honestly, the Saudis probably aren't too happy about it either because it further cements the UAE power base. So I think there's definitely some, you know, a lot of this is, well, they get it from watching us, right? Uh, we've always rendered... CIA prisoners to these countries to be tortured, and we've always used them to loot things ahead of us. And uh, this is probably 
you know, this is a real continuation of that policy. It was a shoot. It seems like a couple of weeks ago that uh, we were talking with Laith Maroof, uh, and it seemed as though they're that based upon successes by uh, Houthi forces that there might have been some uh, some stalemate. And based upon that stalemate, there might have been actually some actual discussions leading to peace. I, I take that now seeming, it, it seems as though that's not happening. And this, in my humble opinion, is just another example of the hypocrisy of Joe Biden's democracy summit. Oh, yeah. I mean, the democracy summit and everything that's been going on lately, the, the boycott of the Olympics in China, all of these things, these human rights and humanitarian, free societies types things, you know, these are all hypocritical, obviously. Uh, Biden has no problem allying himself with these nations. There was long a demand, on, you know, since Obama to stop selling the weapons to the GCC for this war. And so far, it showed no sign of stopping. You know, maybe we don't refuel their jets as much, but we have definitely, you know, I guess these are the defensive weapons Biden said he would only give to the GCC, right? Um, he would only give them things to protect themselves. And when we get in the next story here, the Saudis were bombing the airport to protect themselves. So were those the defensive weapons given to them by Joe Biden instead of offensive weapons for this war? You know, it's hard to say. But either way, I doubt that those missiles were made all in Saudi Arabia. And I doubt that all these bombs are made in Saudi Arabia. And I doubt all these torture techniques came, you know, the UAE came up with them themselves. You know, James, it's interesting that when I hear the United States, when I hear France, you know, we have heard over the years that, you know, whether it's 1940s, 50s, 60s, that these African Middle Eastern countries or uh, Asian countries freed themselves from colonialism and became, you know, got, got gained their independence, et cetera. But when we hear about the conflicts, I think it becomes uh, um obvious that this is colonialism with a suit and tie, colonialism with a, you know, a different kind of an agreement that in reality, they, even the claims that that these countries became independent was a fraud. And oftentimes they just either put puppet governments in or when there is some level of independence, they act militarily and just come up with a fraudulent um, claim as to why. Right. Or they sanction them, you know? Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. That's been, you know, we, I think everyone can see this transfer from, yeah, we don't do open colonialism, but boy, if you don't want to participate in the Western-dominated free market system, we got something for you. You know, whether it's the sanctions, whether it's war, um, even this, you know, look at Saddam himself, who was a tool of the Western intelligence agencies. He decided to take a little bit too much initiative, and that had to stop. You know, you have to participate by... The rules set by the U.S. and the U.K. and the Western powers that, you know, they set the rules for the global economy. And whether you're going to participate, uh, that depends on whether you're fully willing to comply with the rules set in basically the WTO and these international organizations. So one reason we get so angry at China is because, boy, they seem better at it than we are. Mm -hmm. And uh, they haven't <laughs> they have not been brought to uh, account on breaking as many rules as they're supposedly guilty of. So I, I think you see. You know, global capitalism is the imperial order of the day, and if you don't want to comply, we'll either take the resources or we will just make sure you can never put them on the market yourself, such as like Iran or Venezuela. There's another piece, uh, Saudi-led strikes halt aid flights to Yemen's rebel-held capital. U.N. aid flights into Yemen's capital, Sana'a, have been 
halted by airstrikes carried out by the Saudi-led coalition, which supports the government. And again, this gets back to U.S. support of the Saudi Air Force, uh, logistical support, providing maintenance for aircraft, providing other types of munitions. And Joe Biden told us that we were only going to supply, we weren't going to supply the Saudis with offensive weapons. Right. Yeah, and that's what I mean. I don't, but what do you deem offensive in the United States, you know, legal lexicon is, that's a big variation. And uh, I mean, technically, one thing Obama did to supposedly help the Saudis, you know, be less brutal was, oh, we'll help you designate targets. So did the U.S. help designate the targets of the airport? You know, that could be part of our agreement. I highly, again, I highly doubt the weapons are Saudi made because that's not a thing. So um, I'm sure these are defensive. You know, this was a defensive strike. It's a preemptive defense, right? Like the war on terror. You have to do things first to make sure you're safe. We have to make sure the Houthis can't launch any more drones. So we have to destroy the runway at the airport. And um, I think that also ties back into what we were just saying about global capital running the whole thing. You know, if there's no other way to punish the society, especially when the Houthis are making advances, than to just cut them off from resources. If you can't win militarily, you just try to starve a population. Now, as, as you guys mentioned, Syria, you know, they've done the same there. You know, I mean, uh, if we're looking at this, I mean, Joe Biden's foreign policy, he said he was going to get back into the JCPOA. He, you know, he implied that he was he was going to make a change. People were celebrating. Hooray, Joe Biden's in. He's going to get back in the JCPOA. The South. Basically, people took what he said as an indication that he was going to end support for Saudi Arabia. And the bottom line was, it seems to me, Jim, it was all a fraud. He has not just taken, he has not just continued with Donald Trump's foreign policy. He, he's, he's basically stepped it up a notch. And, and not, not only that, Garland, what amazes me is, and, and Jim, please comment on this as well, the administration seems to be clamoring for a win. And they just seem to step on the low-hanging fruit that they could have just picked up and put in their basket and 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 walked in walked into the sunset with three or four big. They they could have ended this in a week. They could have gotten back into the JCPOA in a day. Two victories, goal, 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 and you know, but. Yeah. But they choose they choose to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, I mean, there's nothing the Democrats do better. But, yeah, I think that, you know, it's clear, and I don't think anyone on this call believed that anything different was going to happen, but it's clear that the Biden administration was always going to uh, keep up the policy. Look at, I mean, the price of gas is shot up, but there's no way we're going to piss off the Saudis right now. Um, be a bad move, right? So in order to try and keep the economic indicators or whatever that the conservative, you know, very pro-capital Biden administration is worried about is much more tied to the Saudis than any type of peace initiative or actual, you know, diplomacy. Um, Helping the Saudis bomb Yemen in exchange for who knows what, hopefully trying to keep the oil prices manageable, hopefully trying to keep some economic indicators ticking upwards in the U.S. But the willingness is to sabotage everything else that would actually build you some popular base of support. You know, um, I don't think the midterms are going to look too great for the Democrats at this point. 
because, yeah, like you said, every time they have some victory they could have secured for the actual base that, you know, is mobilizing um, around the Democratic Party, besides, you know, the kind of older voters who just go and naturally vote for the party or the centrist, you know, highly educated types. But other than that, I mean, there's the rest of the base that wanted to see any type of real successes by the party is they've been thrown under the rug. And we know Biden has turned away every type of activist organization that's tried to meet him. And I don't think, you know, there was no interest there to begin with. And we see that there's no interest there now. I had the best thing they've done, I guess, is end the war in Afghanistan. And that seems like it was done on accident. So since we know that at the elite level in this country, there's really no party differentiation. Do the corporate elite Democrats even really care about who controls the House and the Senate and the White House? Because I can't imagine that they're that stupid to think that this is a winning formula, particularly after what happened to Obama in uh, the first midterms of his first term, where he got hosed in the House and the Senate. They can't be that stupid but to now, think this win. But now he's worth $170 million. Well, Lloyd Austin will <laughs> yeah. go back to Raytheon. They'll all go back to their think that's, tank. That's Thanks. my point, Garland. They never lose. James, we got about a minute and a half. Yeah, I think they like to hold the presidency as like a cultural thing. Um, I think they, they want to keep that, and they think that'll be easy just by running somebody who's better than whatever Republican they put up. You know, they think it'll be more Trumps or whatever that they can beat. Yeah, like Kamala um, Harris. Yeah, that'll be a good idea. Yeah, the, the House yeah, and Senate. A, that's I don't a winner care. right there, buddy. Hey, well, <laughs> I didn't say they could do it. <laughs> I said they want to. You know, I think that was the plan with Hillary, right? It was who cares about the House and Senate. We yeah, that's Hillary, a winner right president there. president that makes it. Yeah, yeah that worked <laughs> out, right? So I don't think they care. I think the president is seen as like a, they want the sort of head of state position, but they don't really care about the House and Senate. And really, when does the DNC make the most money besides when they're in the opposition sending out 10 emails a day about did you hear what Mitch McConnell said? Because at, no. the, at the end of the day, the National Defense Authorization Act still gets funded to the fullest. Oh, absolutely. And yep. a, at the end of the day, that's what matters. Wow. They still get their stock dividends. There you, you go. Know. They'll be fine. James Carey, as always, thank you so much for your time. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. We look forward to having you back. Thank you. Thanks, man. Folks, you're listening to The Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. There's more on the other side. Stay tuned. 